0: In these I will be exploring mental health and wellbeing, the Northumbrian countryside and its history, the joy of walking, but always exploring and returning to the themes of therapy which takes an anti-oppressive and intersectional stance. And how wonderful is exercise, walking, all those great self-care things are. They don't remove structural oppressions. Structural oppressions are those things outside of us that we can't just think better. it's part of why I was inspired to begin these podcasts. Constantly seeing a lack of nuance out there. The idea that if we change how we think, we can remove racism or misogyny or homophobia. Every negative thought comes from an almost unreal place, which is just so privileged and ignores the reality of so many people's lives. I thought today I'd start talking about some things which are in the news, which are conversion therapy and the regulation of cancelling. It's going to mention Therapeutic abuse but not in detail and conversion therapy but again not in detail. I am a firm believer that any counsellor or psychotherapist must have been in therapy themselves. We cannot truly understand the experience of the person sitting opposite unless we have also sat in that chair. And academic understanding cannot teach us how it feels to be vulnerable and exposed. Carl Rogers, one of the founders of counselling, saw this vulnerability as being at the core of the person coming to therapy. He talked about core conditions, empathy, lack of judgment, and unconditional positive regard, which the therapist offered to the person coming to therapy, who he saw as being in a state of vulnerability. Quite often, the therapeutic room would be the first place that a client would have been able to be vulnerable safely. In creating that that space, the therapist themselves needs to understand what it feels to sit there. To expose your soul. To share secrets that no one else has ever heard. But a false divide between client and therapist seems to have grown up, which ignores that we've also sat in that chair vulnerable and anxious, and many of us continue to do so. And make no secret of the fact that I do have a therapist, because being a th- in therapy is not about being so broken that you cannot continue for many people, but about living your best life and being your best self. There is moments of crisis and people who start therapy whilst in crisis, that idea that we have to find the missing pieces before someone can continue. But there is also being in therapy in a sense of wholeness, of staying, because you know that way you will continue to be whole. Rather than in either or, perhaps we need to return to the roots of the psychological therapies, where it was acknowledged that we are both and, in one moment we inhabit one chair, in another the positions are reversed. Now I do not mean in here as in co-counselling, We must be aware of boundaries. It is not my client's job to carry me. To go back to Rogers, he thought the therapist would be authentic and congruent, they would be whole, they would have done the work before they came to working with the client. But that does not mean in other spaces, other times. We do not need to be the one who lets all of the shields down. Who just says, This is me, a frail human being. The divide between us and them, clients and therapists, never appears more apparent than in discussions about the regulation of counselling and psychotherapy in the UK. I probably need to explain a little background here. Many people assume that one must have some kind of licence or qualification to practice in the UK, but other than for psychologists and not art therapists, this is not the case. Whilst there are minimum standards to join the bodies which regulate therapy, membership is completely voluntary and one does not need to be a member to advertise to see clients. It's this situation which Jordan Dunbar, a journalist, explored in his programme for File and the therapy business. I spoke to Jordan as he researched the show and his own personal negative experiences may have originally motivated him, but his concern for the public at large was clear. One of the cases he highlights in the documentary is the case of Maria, familiar to those of us who are concerned with protecting clients and also who work with survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Maria was traumatised by three therapists who frankly tortured her in one of the most shocking cases of, of therapeutic abuse that I have ever come across. The regulatory body in this case recommended further training and supervision, a judgment which would be laughable if it were not so horrific. If you listen to the file and 4 documentary, and it's still available on the Radio 4 website, Jordan's shocked not only that this and other abuses by therapists take place, but that they could continue to practise is clear. I believe most non-therapists would be equally shocked However, when we try to discuss how to avoid this situation, the us versus them split seems to become a gaping chasm. Rather than considering what protections we might want when we occupy the space of vulnerability, so many therapists become defensive. At the same time, the documentary seem to forget that the majority of therapists have been and continue to be clients. This is not us versus them, but the same people we should be sharing the same space, working together to make it safe for all. Change can of course always feel threatening, but other professions have had to consider radical change to ensure their growth and development. Nursing and teaching are two comparable professions, which move from largely unregulated to regulated. Who now would argue for unqualified nurses and teachers being preferable? Of course some decent people had to retrain and or leave a profession they loved, and that must be very hard. But it is a step that the professions felt that they had to take. I can't ignore that I approach the idea of regulation not only as someone who sits in both chairs, but as member a member of a community who has had conversion therapy practiced upon them. Conversion therapy was an attempt to make gender, sexuality and relationship diverse people, cisgender, which means not trans and or heterosexual. It still occurs around the world and due to a combination of a lack of training and prejudice undoubtedly still occurs in private in the UK. One only has to be to trans people, to queer people, bi people, asexual people about their experiences of counselling to know that despite the publication of the Memorandum of Understanding and Conversion Therapy, therapists are still denying their gender, denying their sexuality, encouraging them to have sex pretty much against their will when they are in sexual, and trying to convince them they are something they are not. Whilst efforts are being made to improve training, such as with organisations as pink therapy, there's currently little that can be done to stop. Groups like the Co-issue Trust, who operate in Northern Ireland, or individual therapists offering conversion therapy. Yes, they can, if a complaint is made, be removed by one regulated body, but they can continue to practise and to harm. The title of this piece is, Who do you see when you look in the mirror? And I wanted to start here because it explores some of my stances towards regulation, towards therapy, towards conversion therapy, but also because it touches one of my most fundamental beliefs. Binary answers are rarely right. People do not leave single issue lives. Only when we understand the complex intersections can we truly say that we are beginning to understand another human being? We need to see all that we are, the intersections and the multiplicities. Not only the professional whose working conditions might be changed by stricter regulation, but the client who needs the protections and understand that they can be the same person. We also need to see those vulnerabilities which can be exploited and the need and desire to be protected.